Years ago, I witnessed to a man who made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And afterwards, I told him that Satan was not happy about the decision that he had just made. I said, now that you have received Jesus, Satan will do all that he can do to discourage you. I went on to talk with him about some things that he could do to grow as a believer. And then I said to him, do you have any questions? A worried look came upon his face, and he said, yes, I do. He said, what did you mean when you said Satan would try to discourage me? That was a surprise to him. A surprise that Satan would have him as his target, and that as a believer in Christ, he would experience opposition and trouble. Now, by the way, that's one part of the Christian life that none of us really like, do we? But we know it's inescapable. Jesus never withheld that truth from us. He never painted a rosy picture that following him would be joy, love, and peace only. He told us very clearly that to be a Christian would mean we will be opposed by Satan and the world that Satan leads. Now, as we have been studying together John 15, remember that this passage is all about relationships. We saw it begins with our relationship with Christ, and the key word there is abiding. And then we saw it's about our relationship with brothers and sisters in the Lord, and the key word there is loving. But now look as Jesus finishes this chapter. It is our relationship with the world. And notice what we will get from the world. How many of us like that word. Persecution. Persecution. One of my professors, uh, Tom Constable, put it this way. When you look at this chapter, what you realize is that the more we abide in Christ, and the more we love one another, the more the world will persecute us. And so this morning, as we look at Jesus' words today, I want us to come to a message that I am entitling, Preparing for Persecution. This is one of the hard sayings of the Lord, and He will do two things. Number one, He will tell us why it is that the world persecutes Christians. And then He will tell us how it is that we are to respond. Let's open our Bibles, shall we, to John chapter 15. And I want to begin by looking together at just the title verse for this passage, verse 18. And notice that this is sort of uh, the, the title, if you will, the theme of the opening part of this chapter, why it is that the world persecutes Christians. Notice what Jesus says. If the world hates you, know that it hated me. Before it hated you. Let's bow together for just a moment. Blessed Savior, thank you that you never sugarcoated 
You never put candy frosting upon the cost that is involved in following you. You told us, Lord Jesus, the very treatment you received would be the treatment we receive in this world. And we're so thankful you did not hold that hard truth from us. But thank you also that you revealed that in the same way that you loved the world, so you call us to do the very same. And we pray today that you will help us to understand so that we can represent you well in spite of the hardship we may receive. We love you, Lord, today. We want now your teaching to control our lives and our conduct for Jesus' wonderful sake. Amen. As we look at this passage, we discover that the first reason why the world persecutes Christians is that we no longer belong to this world. Look at verse 19. Jesus says to us, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now as we read words like this, it seems very hard for us to relate to what the Christians in the first century experienced. We have all heard about Nero, the Roman emperor, gathering Christians into the Roman Colosseum and unleashing the lions upon them. It's very hard for us to understand and relate to that. But we need to understand that actually the last century has been the bloodiest century of all in the history of the world for Christians. Let me share with you these very sobering words. Let them sink into our hearts today. More followers of Jesus Christ have died during the 20th century than in any other time in history. About 150,000 each year were martyred. About 2 million are actively persecuted, and millions more are living with their religious freedoms severely restricted. Brothers and sisters, let that sink in. That's the sobering reality of living for Christ in this world today. Now, the basic reason Jesus says why this is the case is we no longer belong to this world system. Well, what does Jesus mean here when he refers to the world? Well, in the Bible, there are three senses. The world can mean the earth. It can mean people as people. But oftentimes, it means this world system headed by Satan and opposed to God. I think one of the best commentaries on what the world means is found in 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. Would you turn there with me for just a moment in your Bibles? Remember that John in his epistles gives us a commentary on what Jesus is teaching us in the Last Supper Discourse. So notice verses 15 to 17 of 1 John 2. This is what the world is. Look at it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now just look at what this says the world is. The world is in rebellion against God. The world loves wrong things. The world pursues sinful and selfish desires. The world is very proud of itself. And the world rejects God's truth and the world rejects God's will. Do you know three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus said Satan is the ruler of this world? The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.3 said that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. And now when we come here to Jesus' words in John 15 verse 19, he tells us that he has chosen us as believers out of the world. Uh, I love how Colossians chapter 1 puts it. When we believe in Christ... We are translated, we are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son through whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So we no longer follow the values, beliefs, lifestyle, the loves of the world. And Jesus says that creates hatred. That creates hatred. We all know what the world claims. The world claims to be tolerant and inclusive, doesn't it? Those are the big words today. We are an inclusive and tolerant world. But what is the real truth? The real truth is the world demands conformity. And if we do not conform, we will be rejected. By the way, didn't we find that out pretty quickly when we were kids? Didn't we? I mean, remember if you didn't have the right name on the back of your jeans, that that was pointed out. You didn't have designer jeans, you you just weren't very cool. Uh, Remember if you were driving an old car that was out of style, you were told that you were behind the times, remember that? I remember my sister, when we were just little kids, she wanted a bike, and my dad got an old-fashioned bike, and he fixed it up as good as he could, and made it look as nice as he could, and so she was going to ride it for the first time. When she came back from riding around the block, she was totally humiliated. She said, I'm never going to ride it again. They laughed at me. It was so out of date. And that's the way the world system is. If you don't conform, you don't belong. And if you don't belong, you are not accepted. When I was a youth pastor, I illustrated this to my youth group one time with an illustration of a girl who was climbing a mountain. And let me share the illustration with you. Let's just suppose for just a moment that this girl is a Christian. And let's pretend that uh, the boy down below, uh, a boyfriend, 
He's a non-Christian. He represents the world. He's a member of the world. And let's pretend that this mountain represents Jesus' call to us to salvation and call to follow him in the upward journey towards heaven. As the Bible describes, it's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, as I shared this illustration with the young people, I said, uh, the girl is saying down to her boyfriend below, come up here. But he responds, no. I don't want to go up there. I want you to come back down here because it's more comfortable down here. By the way, isn't that true? Isn't that true? It's easier to be a part of the world. You can blend in. You can conform. You can be like others. You don't have to make any hard choices about right and wrong. It is so much easier to conform to the world. But you know what happens. The more she climbs higher and higher following Jesus and calls her boyfriend to follow the same route the more he wants to stay down below with the world, he will say to her, no, come down here, come down here. It's more comfortable here. And the tension will grow and grow and grow. And he will become more hostile. When Billy Graham became a believer, he said one of the most difficult things he knew he had to do was break up with his girlfriend. He said, I knew now that I'm following Jesus, and she was not. We were going in two different directions. I was following the Lord, and she was going her own way. And he said, the most difficult thing I ever had to do was to break up with her. You see, it is why the world often persecutes us, because we no longer belong to it. Jesus continues, there is a second reason. Second reason that the world persecutes Christians is we get what our master Jesus got. Look at verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, says the Lord. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. Now it is always true. What people think about a master, they will think about the servant of that master. Many years ago, there was a vice president of the United States, and he was visiting a country that was very angry at the USA. And they attacked his motorcade. You can go online today and watch pictures of them kicking his car and breaking out some of his windows. And because they hated the United States, they attacked the representative of the United States. Now that's what Jesus is saying here. Five times in this passage he says that the world hated him or persecuted him. He says it in verse 18, verse 20, verse 23, verse 24, and verse 25. Now think about what that means. Jesus came with a message of love, forgiveness, 
and reconciliation with God. But he also came saying, I am the only way, and people must repent and turn from their way and turn to me. And because he taught those things, look at what the Bible says he got. This was predicted in the Old Testament, and it's exactly what came true. Look at what Isaiah 53.3 says Jesus got for his message. Let's read it together, all right? Join me. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. But brothers and sisters, this is still the way it is today. And actually, this ought to comfort us, because when it happens to us, we need to understand that the world is rejecting Jesus. They are not rejecting us. And so when we experience some sort of persecution, we should never take it personal, because we really understand it's about Him. It's not about us. I want to thank many of you that prayed for me last Sunday night when Randy and I went to the prison to preach the gospel. We had two of the best services that uh, I can remember in a long time. The men responded very, very well. But I can remember some services in my early days preaching in the prison when men would get up and walk out. And I knew they were angry about something that I had said. Now, I have to be very honest with you and tell you that I'm a very sensitive person, and so when I saw them do that, it was a very hurtful thing. Do you know, in my years here at Bethel, I've had at least one person get up and walk out. I was preaching on a very controversial subject one Sunday from God's Word, and a person very clearly was upset about it and got up and walked out. And when that happened, I remember wanting to run after them and say, please, don't be offended. I don't intend this to happen. But it did. And what I needed to understand is when it does happen, it's not really about me. It's about something in this book that people do not like. See, the world rejects us because it's really about their rejection of Jesus. Look with me, if you would, for just a moment at the third reason. Jesus says that the world is ignorant of God. Here's another reason why they sometimes persecute us. Look at verse 21. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. By the way, did you notice here that there is a a three-stage process that Jesus is describing? It's very, very clear what he says. People oppose the disciples. The reason they oppose the disciples is because they oppose Jesus. And the reason they oppose Jesus is because they do not know the Father. So Jesus is saying there's this very clear three-stage process. Whenever it happens and Jesus' disciples are opposed, 
It's because Jesus was opposed before them. And the root of it is, they do not know or understand or have a relationship with the Father. Do you know 1 Corinthians one twenty one says, The world by wisdom did not know God. The gospel in the Bible makes absolutely no sense to the natural person. Do you mean to tell me that a Jew crucified on a Roman cross who claimed to be God who said he would rise from the dead three days later, you mean to tell me that he is the Savior of the world and there is no other way to be reconciled to the Father except through him. The world hears that message and it is foolish and ignorant to them, but the Bible says to the believer that message is the power of God unto salvation. See, what a difference. If you've studied Roman history, you know there were two very famous Roman historians, Tacitus and Suetonius. They were very educated and intelligent men. You know what they called Christianity? They called Christianity a mischievous superstition. And when I read that, I thought, that mischievous superstition outlasted the Roman Empire and has changed untold countless millions of lives all throughout history. And you say, why would two very intelligent educated men who wrote histories of the Roman Empire say Christianity is a mischievous superstition. The answer is they did not know God. That's what Jesus says. They do not know him who sent me. Do you know I've only been shouted at one time in my entire ministry? One time. When I was a student in Texas, uh, one day the pastor of our church, I attended a small little church not far from the famous Mesquite Rodeo. And one day the pastor of our church said, "Uh, I'd like to go through the neighborhood of our church and invite people to come to our church. And so I said, well, I'll go along. We came to uh, one driveway, a long driveway, and the house set way back on the road, And as we started down that driveway, the man in the house saw us coming and he shouted out, We don't want any. And we just kind of waved and smiled, fine. We were not trying to upset anybody. But I want you to think about this. We were bringing good news. We were bringing the news of forgiveness, of eternal life, of a home in heaven, and peace with God. He didn't want any. 
Brothers and sisters, that's that's ignorance. That's ignorance of the plan of God. And that's why many in the world oppose the faith of Christ. Look at how Jesus gives us one more. And this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. The fourth reason why we are persecuted is Jesus exposes the world's sin and obstinacy. Look at what he says in verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Now, did you notice twice Jesus says the world is guilty of sin? Verse 22 and verse 24. And we say, what sin is Jesus talking about? And the answer is, it is the sin of unbelief. It is the sin of not believing in him. But look over at chapter 16 for just a moment, and notice how he clarifies this in verses 8 and 9. He talks there about the sending of the Holy Spirit, and notice what he says when he... The Holy Spirit comes. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now notice this. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Why don't people believe? Well, it's not because they don't have plenty of evidence. There is plenty of evidence to believe. In fact, in this passage, Jesus mentions all the evidence. Let me just share it with you for a moment. Jesus has brought us God's message. Look back at verse 22. He says, if I had not come and spoken to them, and now that message is here in this book. Do you know, the crowds had to admit, they said, when Jesus spoke, no one ever spoke like this man. And when we read the Bible, what do we discover? No book ever speaks to us like the message of this book. I heard a man say, I read other books, but when I read the Bible, it reads me. And no one else ever brought the message that Jesus brought. Second evidence, Jesus did the works of God like no one else ever has. Look at verse 24. He says, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did. When you look at Jesus' miracles, you discover that no one else did the kind of miracles, the number of miracles, or the magnitude of the effect. Remember in the Old Testament, Elijah the prophet, he feeds a a hundred prophets. 
And then you come to the New Testament, what do you discover? Jesus feeds 5,000. He says if that's not enough, he feeds 4,000. And no one ever did the miracles that he did. And then he fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Look at verse 25. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. That is a quotation from Psalm 69 that said when the Messiah came that he would be rejected for no legitimate reason. This is just one of many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. By the way, do you remember how Pilate agreed with this? Remember how the Jews, they brought Jesus before Pilate? They said, we want him to be crucified. And Pilate said, what has he done wrong? And they tried to bring charges. And remember what the Bible says? Pilate knew, he knew, the reason they brought him was because of jealousy. He affirmed what the Old Testament had prophesied. Jesus Christ died for no human good reason. Look at this evidence. Jesus brought the message no one else could bring. He did the miracles nobody else had ever done. He fulfilled prophecies hundreds of years before he was born. Why don't people believe? Well, look at verse 24. Here's the answer. They have seen and hated both me and my Father. People do not want to submit to God. That's the bottom line. When I was in seminary, I had a classmate who was an excellent defender of the truth of the Bible. His name was Bill Watkins. And one day he was witnessing to a friend of his, sharing the gospel with him. And this friend said to him, You know what? I cannot believe because I have all of these unanswered questions. And so Bill said to him, Well, tell me, what are the questions? So one by one, this friend shared with him his unanswered questions. And one by one, Bill answered all of them. In fact, his friend said, I've never heard answers like that, and they are legitimate answers to all these questions that I've had. So Bill said to him, Now are you ready to believe? He said, No. Bill said, Wait a minute. I've just answered all your questions that you said have kept you from believing in Jesus. And you yourself admit they are satisfactory answers. Why don't you want to believe? The friend said, I'm not ready. Bill said, Oh, I think I get it now. It's not that you can't believe, 
but it's that you won't believe. Do you know what he said? He said, my friend had enough integrity to say you are right. He said, if I believe, I know this will mean Jesus will want to take over my life and I am not ready for That's why people won't believe. Listen to these words of Jesus earlier in the Gospel of John. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And Jesus tells us the reason the world persecutes Christians because he exposes their sin and their obstinacy. Now, as we look at all this, and this is the world that we increasingly live in, how are we to respond? What's the reaction? As I close out this message this morning, I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't stop here. He told us as Christians how we are to respond And let me just give you a couple of things that he said. Number one, he told us to be humble. To be humble. Look back at verse 19, and Jesus says, I chose you out of this world. Now remember in the last few verses, Jesus talked about how our salvation is a result of his election of believers to be his followers. And now in verse 19, he comes back to that, he brings it up, and he says, you need to understand, I have chosen you out of this world. So we are not any better than anyone else, we are not wiser, we are not more insightful, we are not more spiritually minded or responsive. It is only God's grace that has saved us. In fact, what does the Bible say? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. A few weeks ago in our uh, adult Bible fellowship class, this question came up. How much of your salvation do you give God credit for? Immediately the answer came back. All of it. All of it. Do you know one reason why I go and preach in the prison? Because I know without Jesus Christ, I could easily be in prison with those prisoners. I was born in Detroit. I would not want to walk at night in the neighborhood that I was born into. Had circumstances been just a little bit differently, I could have grown up very much like those prisoners who are just a few miles away from us. And I go there because without the grace of God in my life, 
I could be exactly where they are. Brothers and sisters, what that means is we should be meek and humble towards the world. We should not be proud and condescending. When the world wrongs us, we should pray for them because they're ignorant. When the world uh, attacks us in some way, we should return good for evil because they don't know God like we do. When the world breaks the peace with us and, and ruins a relationship, we should do all that we can to try to mend that broken relationship because we have peace with God and they do not. Jesus says, understand, it's all because of me that you have been chosen out of this world, therefore be humble. My old professor, Howard Hendricks, used to say this, Many Christians think they're being persecuted for righteousness' sake, when in reality, they're being persecuted for stupidity's sake. May that never be true of any of us. May that never be true of any of us. If we are persecuted, may it be because of this Never this. If we are opposed and wronged and hurt, may it be because of this. And never because of this. Second response that Jesus gives to us. Keep witnessing. Keep witnessing. Did you notice back in verse 20, some will respond? Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. Some will come to Jesus. And if we wonder why, look down at verse 26 and 27. Here's the reason why. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Why will some respond? Why will some keep Jesus' word? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit will come and He will witness to the truth. You see, we are not called on to be the prosecuting attorney who convinces the jury that the evidence is true. We are called on to be witnesses who take our seat at the stand before the jury. But the Holy Spirit alone is the prosecuting attorney. And as we share our witness, He takes that truth and He drives it home to hearts. And by the power that has been given to Him to work in lives, He draws some to the Savior and convinces them that it is true and they come to faith in Him. So keep witnessing. Keep witnessing. One of the wonderful illustrations we use in everyday evangelism is this beautiful illustration. Evangelism is a three-way 
conversation. There's the witnesses, us. There is the world, which is hostile to our message. And then there is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells us. And because He indwells us, He can work through us. And when we share the message of the gospel, as He works through us, He overcomes the opposition that is the natural element of the world. He draws some to the Savior. And because of that powerful work, We are to keep witnessing. Keep witnessing. One of the most famous Christians in China's history was a woman named Christiana Tsai. Christiana Tsai. When she came to faith in Christ in China, under the communist regime. She told her family about her conversion to Jesus. They reacted with fury, with horror, and they persecuted her. You know what they did with her Bible? They snatched her Bible from her, they tore it up, and they threw it in her face. She suffered mightily at their hands. One day, her eighth brother, she came from a huge family. One day, her eighth brother gathered all the family together because he wanted to say something to them. They had no idea what the gathering was about, but they all gathered. And this is what her eighth brother said. I have been to see Christiana many times. And I wondered how she could endure all this suffering. He continued, I now can see she has been given some sustaining power and can only explain it as coming from God. So I have decided there must be a God after all. He said, I have read the Bible and realized that I am a sinner. I have received Jesus Christ as my Savior and asked Him to forgive me of all of my sins, and I have promised Him that I will now follow Him. Christiana said about herself, I'm not an educated woman. I'm not a teacher. She said, all I am is God's hound dog. And by the time she was finished, 55 of her extended family in communist China became believers in Jesus Christ. And she wrote a world-famous book. 
about her life and ministry. You know what her eighth brother said? He said, Christiana, in spite of all the suffering we have thrown in your face, you're happier now than you were before. He said, I would like to have that happiness too. I believe it's going to get worse in America, don't you? I believe we ain't seen nothing yet. But I know when we will react with humility and the kindness and love of Christ and keep witnessing, the Holy Spirit will do His work. And there's no better way to live. No better way to live. All God's people said, Amen. Let's bow our hearts together in prayer. Is it hard for you right now? Is the world with all of its claims, lies, and pressure coming to bear upon you? Are there people in your own family who you long to see following Jesus, going in another way? Do you often feel as you are in that dorm room that you seem at times to be the only one who loves the Lord. Listen, understand, this is the way Jesus said it would be. We are in a battle. The world is opposed to us. Satan wants to discourage us. But the only thing that makes sense in a world that is passing away is to reflect the humility, love, kindness of Christ our Savior, who while he was on the cross, being cruelly crucified and rejected, said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what it is they are doing. And then with that spirit, to keep living for the truth, to keep testifying to the truth, to keep witnessing, knowing that the powerful Spirit of God will in His timing and in His way draw sinners to the Savior. That is the only life that makes sense. It is the life of fulfillment and joy and purpose and meaning. Let us today Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for laying it on the line for us. Thank you for making it plain and clear and simple. And we now follow you because we know you are true and you have the words of eternal life which are worth more than this world.
could ever give. For Jesus' sake, amen.